the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci and Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci and Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. The views and opinions expressed are based on current economic and market conditions and are subject to change. All investing involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. Pat Petucci says, don't invest and forget. Invest and forget. Invest and forget. Welcome to Don't Invest and Forget, a weekly financial news magazine designed to educate and equip you with the roadmap and direction you need to manage your money, meet your financial goals, and instill confidence in your investment choices on the road to retirement. Your host is author, radio commentator, and investment advisor, Pat Fatucci of Fatucci & Associates. With over 30 years' experience in the world of finance and investment planning, Pat specializes in personal and corporate investment management with special emphasis on retirement planning. The Fed makes good on its promise to raise rates and signals more hikes are in the future, all in an effort to stave off inflation. Welcome once again to another edition of Don't Invest and Forget, the program that each and every week helps you keep your finger on the pulse of your money from Wall Street to Main Street to your wallet. Our host, author, and 30-plus-year financial manager, Pat Petucci, and I'm Craig Roberts. Well, in its quest to bring down inflation running near the highest levels we've seen since the 1980s, the Federal Bank raised the overnight lending rate, and of course, with that, Wall Street is reacting. Let's get more insights now from Pat Fitucci. And uh, Pat, help us understand exactly the consequences of all of this. It's kind of an unprecedented playbook, but I think Jerome Powell is digging out the playbook of Paul Volcker back to President Reagan days when Paul Volcker, in a very unpopular fashion, raised rates in like fashion. But it did do the trick. It stabbed off inflation. If you remember, Ronald Reagan came in after President Carter had 12, 13, 14, 15% inflation rates. Well, our rates today are not too far off. Last I saw it was 8.3% for the past 12 months. So we're getting up in that stratosphere that's quite unpopular and some radical action needs to be taken. And so, i.e., we've got the consecutive rise in the interest rates. So they've more than doubled. What does that do to the real estate economy? It absolutely kills it couple of realtor friends I've checked in with this week saying there is zero activity and homes that are on the market are sitting. Not much is moving. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why. It raises your mortgage payment by dramatic fashion. In the Bay Area, the average mortgage is anywhere from 750 to a million dollars being borrowed. That has a dramatic impact up to $1,000 more a month. So it kind of boxes out a lot of heretofore eligible people to buy those Bay Area homes. 
So here we are with the real estate market dropping like a rock. And what does that mean? The ramifications in other industries, Home Depot, Lowe's, uh, you're not going there to buy wallpaper and lawnmowers and grass seed because there are a lot of um, homes just sitting in that sector of the economy, in my in my opinion, will slow dramatically in the next six to nine to 12 months. Look, it's projected. We're not going to get out of this until 2024. So if all the economists that I hear are even somewhat correct, we've got a good 12 months of pretty pathetic numbers. Higher interest rates, what does that mean? Higher unemployment. Jerome Powell's own projections are that unemployment will go to somewhere between 4 and 4.5%. We've already started to see Silicon Valley lay off some people. You're not going to buy as many cars, so you'll see the auto industry slow. Almost every industry we can look at today will be affected by these higher rates. Christmas will not be as robust as we had hoped for. Stay tuned, kids. You may not get the toy you were hoping for because mom and dad are going to be stretched just to put food on the table. We know food prices are off the charts high. The stock market is not the economy. And so we've got to separate those two. Yeah, there's closely related, but it's not perfect. Keep in mind, there's an international component to our economy that generates, frankly, about 40% of the revenue comes from outside the U.S. Having said that, we've seen other economies, others, uh, other industrialized economies around the globe suffer even worse numbers than we have. So there is a correlation, certainly, between our economy and international economies. So depending upon your asset mix, where is your money today? How much of it is domestic versus international versus emerging? I think it's a great time to drill down, pull out your 401k statements, really look at what your sectors are invested in. Is it time to rotate the different sectors of the economy? Clearly, I think it absolutely is. You need to pivot pretty dramatically given, again, this recent three-quarter of a point rise in the economy. So the health of our economy affects the international economies. The old adage is if we sneeze, the rest of the world gets the flu. And so I think that's still true. The dollar is really held up wonderfully. That's good news for those traveling overseas because you're going to get more bang for your buck. It's certainly good for our exports. Exports, by the way, still count for about $3 trillion of the $25 trillion of the U.S. gross domestic product. So, yeah, it's still small. It's about one-seventh, but it does have, have an effect. What will happen with Jerome Powell's decision? Certainly, unemployment levels will rise to roughly 4 to 4.5%. So a lot of uh, leading and lagging indicators, and the headwinds are certainly gotten a little stronger in the last week, given the fact that the interest rate environment is at these lofty levels. But the dollar strength will be good for importers. And as I mentioned, if you're going to vacation abroad, you're going to get a better bang for your buck. So certainly cash is a great opportunity to Hold on to your cash at this point in time. And if you've got time on your side, in my view, 
If you're four, five, six years away from the utility of the money, you don't need the money. To me, there's a, a giant Macy's White Flower Day sale on the stock market. The Dow is around 30,000, teetering 29, 30,000 as we speak. And the Dow was at 36,000 and change. Pretty significant opportunity if time is on your side. I'm led to believe this country will get out of this, quote, recession, if it is a recession. There's lots of definitions. And, of course, politicians are reluctant to call it a recession because it's not good for their voters. So there's all kinds of dancing around whether you want to call it a, a recession. Guess what? It's a recession, guys. So depending upon um, when you need the money, I think it's a great buying time. Look at your 401k. What are you buying every payroll period? I would tilt it if you've got Tom on your side to equity portions, both domestic and international and emerging, depending on your appetite for risk. If you need help with any of that dollar cost averaging decision, certainly give our offices a call and I wrote this book 15 years ago called Don't Invest and Forget. Wow, this is one of those critical periods of time where you don't want to just keep depositing money into a sector that may not have the propensity to participate more fully. Again, I think it's a critical time to really reflect on where you want to be in the economy. By the way, if you're retired, this is a very difficult period of time because clearly if you're taking withdrawals out of your pre-tax money, if you can in any way mitigate that or reduce that withdrawal in in the next 6, 12, 18 months, that would be ideal. Pat Fittucci says, don't invest and forget, invest and forget, invest and forget. As baby boomers begin to ease into their 60s, most expect to delay retirement longer than their parents or even grandparents. In some respects, that's good because many simply can't afford to stop working anytime soon. Two new reports portray aging boomers as better educated with higher incomes and longer life expectancies than the generations that preceded them. That's the good news. They also have fewer children and are less likely to be married, leaving them with fewer options if they need help in their old age. According to a new report just released by the Brookings Institution, a Washington, D.C. think tank, more and more Americans are being forced to work well past the age of 65 simply to make ends meet. Combinations of less money coming in and then higher costs associated with everything from housing to health care. With a look at these issues, Pat Petucci and... Pat, boy, this is a struggle for so many that's worked their entire life dreaming of the day they would retire only to arrive at that magic number of 65 to discover, oh, no, can't stop working yet, simply can't afford it. Yeah, Craig, you're right. 65 age is really fiction anymore in many, many cases. It was a number that was kind of plucked out of thin hair many years ago. In this day and age, first of all, many folks want to work beyond 65. But the key, I think, one of the things you said was, do you have a choice? If you really hate your job, you're counting the days down until you get that Social Security check. But if you don't hate your job, you're probably going to stay on in some capacity, whether it's part-time, whether as a consultant. You know, half the folks out there say they need to work to 70 and there they have can say, I want to work till age 70 or even beyond 70. You know, the old 70 is now really the new 60. And so 70-year-olds act like, walk like, think like 
perhaps 60-year-olds of years ago. And we're all, at least from a biological point of view, in many, many cases, 10 years younger than what maybe our grandparents were when they were at these ages. And so we want to look at, am I working because I really love it? Or am I working because I have to put food on the table? Hopefully it's good because you really love it. And that's what we really want to talk about is, is your money, is your portfolio working as hard as you are? We find many, many listeners, Craig, come into our offices for that no obligation consultation. And they finally have come to the conclusion that their money is not working hard. It's invested and forgotten about. And we know we've spent a lifetime working hard, building up some dollars, saving our nickels and dimes over the years, participating in 401k plans, buying IRAs, maybe buying some Roths along the way. And now the question is, is it competing for the kinds of performances that make sense? Sadly, I got to tell you, Craig, in many cases, it's not working as hard as they are. So they've worked harder. And now I think the reason why we're getting such an influx into our offices throughout the country is the very fact that we are waking up and saying, oh my God, I am X years out until I retire. I better start paying attention to all those little pieces of the puzzle that are out there that heretofore maybe were not as interesting. Many times envelopes weren't even open, Craig. We have radio listeners come in and they say, please open these envelopes. I can't bear to look at it. I haven't looked at it for years and I'm afraid what it looks like. Please tell me what the number is. So it's funny, but it's really sad in a way, Craig, because we're asked to kind of piece together the roadmap to retirement. And we know the social security system is not going to be there to any great degree in terms of percentage of income in retirement. So we've got to make up for that shortfall. Coupled with corporate America, figuring out, wait a minute, we can't afford to carry our employees for the rest of their life. So you really have to maximize whether we have a 401k or 403b or 457 at work, whatever your plan is at work, it's absolutely essential to max that out year in and year out to really have any hope of either downsizing your work week or eliminating your work week and going into that dream time of our life, the last 10, 20, 30 years of our life and doing things that we really want to do with our time. And that's when you get to dictate what you do tomorrow. It's really the freedom of time, isn't it, Craig? It is, Pat. And you've touched on a very critical word, and that is the word freedom. How many of us start our marriages, our careers, raising families, and we think about someday having the freedom to send our children to a great school so they can have a wonderful opportunity at life and a good, solid career future. Want the freedom to be able to own the home of our dreams, take those vacations, leave a financial legacy for our family, retire and do what we've always wanted to do, be it lay on the beach, spend time with the grandchildren. All of it comes down to a matter of personal freedom. And unfortunately, Pat, as this new report suggests, many Americans are losing their freedom. They're losing their freedom because their buying power is diminishing. It's taking more and more to retire. They can less rely upon things like Social Security. And my goodness, the number of big corporations that are walking away from their obligations on pension funds is almost alarming. And then it leaves folks with the question of, I become really in financial bondage. I'm forced to continue working well beyond retirement, not out of choice, but out of necessity. That brings us full circle to the important question, Pat, on the minds of everyone eavesdropping on our conversation right now, and that's simply this. If I want to be able to protect my freedom, to be able to protect the dreams that I fostered and encouraged all of my life, what are the steps that I need to take at retirement? 
Well, it really is a collection of a lot of activities. It's kind of an overwhelming task. We're tired at the end of the day. We've spent the day, you know, struggling, going through our workday. Maybe we've got kids to pick up from a school, or maybe you're an empty nester. Maybe the bigger issue is taking care of folks. There's always a lot of things to do. And normally the last thing we do is look at our portfolio. And so we really want to spend some time and evaluate, what am I invested in? Well, I'm invested in mutual funds. What kind of mutual funds? International? Are you overseas? Are you all domestic? Are you in large company stock, small company stock, midsize? So you have to look at the rudiments of what your portfolio is all about. That's certainly number one. Secondly, you want to look at any estate planning kinds of issues. Do you have a living trust? Do you have a will? Those are important issues so that you don't inadvertently make Uncle Sam your largest beneficiary. You want to document what your wishes are. You want to make sure all your investments are properly registered in your trust. If you have a living trust, make sure the assets are in the trust. Then so you want to look at insurance. Do I have enough life insurance? Should I consider long-term care life insurance, nursing home insurance? What's the probability of spending some time in a nursing home? Have I looked at my homeowners and auto insurance? When I'm out on the highway and I get into a fender bender and somebody realizes you are worth a whole bunch of money, wow, you become a, a candidate for a wonderful nuisance suit that may cost you a couple hundred thousand dollars or worse. So we want to make sure you've got the right protections to protect your assets that you spent your lifetime accumulating. So what we do in our no obligation consultation, Craig, is really provide this roadmap, this inventory of assets and liabilities. What kind of mortgage do you have? Do you have the right mortgage? Do you have no mortgage? Should you have a mortgage? And any other debt, whether it's a boat loan, a car loan, we really want to evaluate both sides of the ledger, both the asset side and the liability side, and come up with a strategy to improve your direction. You're going down the road. Are you going down the right road? Is your asset base declining? Is it increasing? Is your liability exposure increasing or decreasing? So we want to look at every aspect of your financial life. We provide a financial plan, Craig. It's part of our services. We establish and develop a financial plan and it really becomes a worksheet for us to work with our clients and go down the road and continue to monitor, follow up and give some direction because it's a complicated world. It's not as simple as it was just 20, 30 years ago. Life is complex. So a lot of issues, but in our 30 plus years of being in this business, Craig, we've got a whole collection of very talented, financially savvy people that really get a charge out of doing what we do. We enjoy this stuff. We spent our lifetime developing skills and continuing to learn. We are required to have continuing education credits, which again, our world continues to change. So we are challenged by new ideas, new concepts and And uh, again, we are fulfilling that through our continuing education. We just think it's imperative to go down the road holding hands with somebody that is charged with the responsibility of keeping their finger on the pulse of your financial life. Pat Fittucci says, don't invest and forget, invest and forget, invest and forget. My very special guest today, Ron Blue, author of 16 books on personal finance, including his bestseller, Mastering Your Money, and his most recent book, Splitting Heirs. Ron, welcome to the show. Delighted to be here, Pat. Thank you for asking me. Ron, your recent book, Splitting Heirs, and it's H-E-I-R-S, is giving your money and things to your children without ruining their lives. Wow, how telling is that? How many times have I seen in my 30 plus years in this business, mom and dad's best intentions of giving kids money and it just ruins their life? Uh, unfortunately, that's all too common a story. And you know, one of our principles in the books is that if you transfer 
uh, wealth without wisdom, you're almost guaranteed to destroy the child. Whereas if you transfer wisdom, wisdom can create wealth, but wealth rarely creates wisdom. So there's a paradox there, and unfortunately, uh, we see it way too often. Ron, in your book, you mentioned there's $41 trillion, trillion with a T, will pass to the next generation in the next 50 years, and yet this is not any topic on the 6 o'clock news that I've ever seen. No, and as a matter of fact, Pat, it's uh, estimated that number could be as high as $135 trillion. That's a lot of zeros. That's a lot of zeros. <laughs> when we're in the process of that right now, uh, the boomer generation transferring uh, their wealth, we know right now today in America there's $41 trillion worth of wealth. So that amount will be transferred to the next generation as these generations die off. And over time, that $41 trillion can uh, double and triple. So a so, lot of money going to the next generation. What are some of the components in this book that make this different from a regular, just an estate planning book for the super rich? Everybody's looking to reduce estate taxes. What are some of the things you cover in this book? Well, I think that the big difference between this and an estate planning book would be that it begins with the assumption that wealth transfer can begin right now, and it considers as its first priority the impact on the beneficiaries, whereas estate planning is typically deals with what happens at death and after death, and it's really more focused on the donor as opposed to the beneficiary in terms of them passing their wealth. What I found is that the consequence to the beneficiaries, my children, grandchildren, or charitable organizations, can be really devastating without some pre-thought given to the consequences. So it's a different paradigm. It starts with the paradigm of thinking, if I transfer this wealth to, you name the beneficiary, what's its impact going to be on them? That's a different paradigm to begin with. The whole tools and techniques that estate planning employs are legitimate, but they're about five decisions down in terms of the process. There are so many references to money, uh, more than probably any other topic. It's not the love of money, it's the love of what the utility of money can provide in terms of charities or doing good. Mr. Gates is probably our poster child for doing the right thing with his wealth and helping those less fortunate. This book really talks about the utility of the money beyond. It's not just a how-to avoid tax issue. It's really what happens when your child receives that big chunk of money. Does it demotivate he or she to now sit back or sit on the beach in Hawaii? This is something that I not only wrote the book, but I've personally been through it and practiced it. And uh, Judy and I, my wife and I, we have five children that we've raised. We now have 11 grandchildren. And we began this wealth transfer discussion by asking ourselves the question, if we give, and we name the child, if we give this child, pick the number, you know, a million dollars, half a million dollars, hundred thousand dollars, whatever number it is, what is the worst thing that can happen to them if in fact we do that? And then we ask a second question, well, how serious is that? consequence. And third is what's the probability of it occurring. So if I take my own family, uh, Pat, as an illustration, I've got my oldest daughter is married to an entrepreneur. My second daughter is married to a banker. My uh, third daughter uh, went through a divorce and has just been remarried. Uh, then our fourth child is a son who's, in, who's a school teacher, and our fifth is a son who's a, an attorney. Well, when you ask the question, what's the worst thing that can happen? I get five different answers with the five children that I've got. For 
for example, I think one of the most telling is that my uh, second daughter married a guy that grew up very poor in Alabama. She met him in college, and he has an intense need to provide for his family. That's just an intrinsic value that he grew up with and gone to college, paid for his own way through college, uh, and he's done very well professionally. If we had left a number of years ago, a significant sum of money to that daughter, it would have had a tremendous impact on her relationship with her husband. Well, how serious is that? That's a really serious consequence. When you say serious issue, are you speaking a negative? Very negative. It would have taken away his ability to provide for his family because they wouldn't have needed the money anymore. And he had an intense need to provide for his family. You would kill his drive. Kill his drive. So that's really serious. And then we ask ourselves the question, how likely is that to occur? And here's an interesting thing about the whole process, if you will. If I'd have answered that question for that daughter 10 years ago, I would have said it was about 100% probability because they had they were just starting their family. They were just getting going. They were buying their first home. Well, 10 years later, this young guy has now made it in terms of becoming successful in the banking business. And today, the likelihood of that occurring is different than what it would have been 10 years ago. And I suspect 10 years from now, it'll be even different. And the point being, as you know, that date planning, wealth transfer planning is an ongoing process really that never ends because the answers to your questions change over time too. And so does that suggest your living trust or will, whichever you have, really needs to be evaluated based on your children's life changing and their perspective on inheritances change. And as your grandchildren numbers grow, that really needs a reevaluation, if you will. Absolutely does because I would never counsel, and I did not with my own planning, would never have disinherited, if you will, a a young child because you don't know what their needs might be. But now as my kids reach adulthood, they are adults, their needs have changed. And frankly, they're all doing well enough that we can give most of our estate to charitable organizations. And over time, when we see how these 11 kids develop, grandkids develop, we may change our thinking on, on it also. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to ruin my grandkids either. So we've got this longevity issue of we're all living longer. Does that change inheritance planning? Absolutely it does, because the circumstances change. I'm 65 now, and assuming that I, I live for another 20 years, which I'm in great health, vocationally I am really uh, having a best time of my life. If I live another 20 years, you know, my oldest daughter will be 60 and my oldest grandchild will be 33. Well, that circumstance is a lot different than where I am today. So I I need to be rethinking this on an annual basis at the very least. And there's a 92% probability you or Judy, your wife, will live to age 92. One of the principles in the book is to do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. I like that. Point being that if you're going to transfer wealth, it's better to be, it's really better to do it while you're living than at death because you can see the consequence of it and your heirs and beneficiaries and charitable organizations have a greater opportunity to use that you really don't need anymore. Please let me emphasize that tax and legal professionals are not a part of Vitucci and Associates staff, but we refer to professionals versed in those disciplines. My special guest today, Ron Blue, an author of 16 books on personal finance, including his bestseller, Master Your Money, and his most recent book, Splitting Heirs. Ron, this is a great title, Splitting Heirs, H-E-I-R-S, and we're really talking about how to provide to our children without ruining their lives. What are your feelings about giving equally to each heir? Is there some formula or the one child is not a good money manager? Do you leave more to that one or less to that one? (laughs) 
I think, first of all, you have to believe the last decision that I get to make is who's the next steward. If I think of it that way, it frees me up to also think about those that are going to inherit it. And there's a principle in the book, Pat, that we found raising five children, that if we love our children equally, we will treat them uniquely. And by that, I mean, my kids have different personalities, they have different needs. And as they were raised, that was obvious. And today, as adults, their needs are significantly different from one another. For example, when my third daughter went through a divorce about five or six years ago, and she was a single mom, she her needs were tremendously different from her two older sisters who were both married to, to guys that were doing pretty well financially. And so Judy and I said... And, and now we're, we're talking about wealth transfer. We're not talking about estate planning. And so we felt like we wanted to help that daughter uh, through some really tough, tough times. And we did. And communicated to our other children that because we loved them just as much as we loved uh, the daughter going through the divorce, that if they ever fell into a, had a problem, we'd, of course, help them. But we did not feel like because we helped our third daughter that we had any obligation to do the same for them. And we had a child who had a need that we treated uniquely because we loved every one of them equally. So that's kind of how it works itself out. And it also works itself out in terms of using the resources now as opposed to leaving it all at death. She needed the, the help right then. And so we, that's the principle behind it. So I admire your children. In many families that, that I've counseled where situations like that come up around, as you well know, it could get pretty ugly in that, wait a minute, you love this one more than that one, more than me. Now you owe me some of that because you gave it to this child. And you can get into some really uh, awkward positions unless you just take that firm position and say, look, this child needs this right now. And if you should need something. Well, I think that the way that our kids handled that, you know, began with our training them when they were young Sure. Uh, with that. And fortunately, that this principle of loving them equally and as a consequence, treating them uniquely, that's not new. We didn't make that up. But now I will say this, we continue to communicate it to them. And we have a family conference about once a year with all of the kids and their spouses. Uh, and we talk about our philosophy on money and principles on money so that they're not, I don't want them to be surprised when the will's read. Some folks are so focused on specificity in the living trust that they could be accused of managing their children's lives from the grave by doling out money at times when certain milestones are reached. And so there's this criticism I've heard from children who inherit money that I'm still putting up with mom or dad's philosophy from the grave because they've stipulated through a trust or through some other fiduciary that these milestones have to be hit in order for me to be released X more dollars. What is your thinking along those lines? Number one, I think that the attempt to control wealth beyond the grave is foolish. Number one, it's really, really difficult to do that. You can build all these trusts and requirements and so forth, but over time, that's all going to disappear. I don't think that you're going to really care about that. And I think that if you can't trust your children and you're trying to control their decisions, then you shouldn't be leaving wealth to them at all. You're probably going to mess them up if you're that concerned about it. I really advise it. I say basically when you're doing gifting, if it's to a charity or to your children, while you're alive or at death, do it with no strings attached. I will say this, that I've counseled many people, and Judy and I just redid our wills, and uh, our kids are now adults, so they could get the money in the event of our death now. But if one of them dies, what we've said for our grandkids is we want to disperse not under set 
conditions, but at certain ages. Ron, there's a wonderful tool called the Charitable Remainder Trust, where you actually have the opportunity to give away your money during your lifetime and watch your blessings work for you right in front of you instead of waiting until you're long gone and then giving money away to a charitable groups. Talk to our listeners a little bit about that whole idea. Well, the whole idea of the Charitable Remainder Trust is that that may be an asset that is that you need to live out the rest of your life in terms of the income off of it. But at death, you don't need it anymore, and you've chosen that a charity is going to get it. And so you can put some wealth into a charitable remainder trust, and the charity gets whatever is left, and you get a tax deduction for, uh, that's based upon a formula immediately. I can get a tax deduction. I can give it away, but I can still have it, if you will, in terms of the income off of it over the rest of my life but charity ends up with it at some point. It's a great, great tool. It's kind of having your cake and eating it too. It really is. You get the deduction, you get the use of the money, but charity ends up ultimately with the month. Great, great tool. Here's the $64,000 question. How much is enough? How much money will you need the rest of your life? Well, I tell you, it's a function, first of all, of lifestyle. And how much is enough is a lot less if you've got a lesser lifestyle than if you've got a really consumptive lifestyle. So it begins with how much is enough in terms of the lifestyle that I've chosen. And once I know the answer to that question, then I can mathematically figure out how much is enough. I can use somebody like yourself as a financial advisor to run the calculations to say, if my life expectancy is 92, how much money am I going to need? Mathematically, you can calculate it. My uh, friend Bob Buford wrote a book called Halftime. He and I talked about this. He said, I figured out how much I'd need to live out the rest of my life. I doubled it and I gave everything else away. I said, you know what? That works. I think people would give a lot more away if they had established a finish line on both their lifestyle and their accumulation. They would have a lot more to give away. You know, what throws the monkey wrench into soon-to-be retirees with all the boomers coming of age is the fact that the Social Security system is weak. The uh, pension systems are going away. Healthcare costs are rising and it's more incumbent upon new retirees to handle those themselves. A lot more decisions, a lot more reserve, if you will, needs to be set aside compared to perhaps our parents. Their lifestyles were more modest because they were more prudent with the dollar. They had pensions and Social Security represents a larger percentage of their current income. And so a lot more questions for this whole new group of retirees coming up. Uh, Unfortunately, that's all too common a story. And there's a paradox there. And unfortunately, uh, we see it way too often. My special guest today, Ron Blue an author of 16 books on personal finance. Let me make this crystal clear. Vitucci and Associates, we are not attorneys. We are not equipped to give legal advice. I would highly encourage you to hire a licensed attorney that specializes in estate planning issues. If you need a referral for a qualified estate planning attorney, call our offices. We will give you recommendations. Any questions, call us personally, 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E, or go to our website, don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. You've been listening to Don't Invest and Forget with author and investment advisor, Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program, or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of Bay Area offices of Atucci & Associates near you, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call toll-free 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Or visit don'tinvestandforget.com. 
Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci and Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci and Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.